into a deeper, loving relationship with you, oh God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. We sure are glad that you've joined us for worship here today. And, and I just want to remind you, uh, you know, sometimes we say this at the end of the message, but I want to say it here at the outset so it can be fresh on your mind, uh, in, on your mind as, as we go throughout the, the rest of our service here. But if you need prayer for anything, if there's anything on your heart, uh, whether it's for yourself or somebody uh, in your life, uh, something going on, we, we would love to pray with you after the service. We'll have a number of, of us up here that would just love to, to take a moment to pray with you, pray for you. If you have a copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, please join me in 1 Peter chapter 2. We left off, um, technically we left off at the end of chapter 2 as we went into the Christmas season, but I, I had skipped a couple of verses and said we were going to go back because I wanted to camp here for a little bit um, on verses 9 and 10. And so in just a moment as we read, we're actually going to read 4 through 10 to get the context and the flow. Um, so. As you, uh, as you find your way there, I just want to remind you that uh, today is the day that kind of we get back into the normal swing of things with classes and everything. So if, if you weren't here for our 10 o'clock hour, know that we have our 10 o'clock discipleship classes going on again for kids and adults all the way up uh, from birth to, to as old as you are, whoever's the oldest here, you get to, you know, there's a class for you. And, uh, and then I also want to let you know that our youth and kids stuff in the evening resumes tonight with Kids Club and middle school uh, youth group at 5 o'clock and uh, high school, high school starts at 7? Okay, 7. I knew it was somewhere in there. So we want to invite you to be a part of that, to invite your friends uh, and, and to come on out. Also, uh, we're letting you know, too, that we're, we're, we still have the Westminster Catechism devotionals out there. If you want to get a copy of that as we walk through those questions and just get a chance with our family and even in for our own spiritual growth to walk through the one question a week this year in 2023, uh, I want to invite you to join us for that. And if you have questions about what that is or you weren't here for the explanation a little bit, there's more information at the table out there or I'd love to talk to you and, and kind of fill you in on, on those things. All right, 1 Peter chapter 2 beginning in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by people but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. All of us are familiar with the medical condition of amnesia. If you watch, if you believe movies and television, it's, it's really a common occurrence. But in reality, medically speaking, amnesia is not all that common. But it's a medical phenomenon that, that neuroscientists have really not yet 
been able to figure out. There are some causes that you can see that can be apparent. Sometimes it's after traumatic brain injury or, or after a, a very um, psychologically traumatic event. But oftentimes it's, it's very difficult to explain and understand. Uh, and, and, and as I said, it's, it's a very rare condition. We're all familiar with that, 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 that story of that person waking up one morning and having no clue who they are, or the story of, of, a, of a soldier stumbling into a town with no recollection of how they got there or where they've come from. You know, if you've seen the Jason Bourne movies, you, you, you have a little bit of idea of, of amnesia. It, it, but it is a real thing, even if it's uh, uh, only occasional. In fact, one of the most famous cases of amnesia was by the mystery writer Agatha Christie. Uh, Agatha Christie experienced amnesia, at least some temporary amnesia. She uh, disappeared uh, in 1926 for 11 days. Nobody knew where she was. She was gone. They found her abandoned car but couldn't find her. Finally, after 11 days, they found her. She was 200 miles from her abandoned car with no recollection as to how she got there, what she'd been, or what had happened during those 11 days. She was located and identified by her then-husband, Archibald, and he said in an interview, she suffered from the most complete loss of memory, and I don't think she knows who she is. She does not know me, and she does not know where she is. I'm hoping that rest and quiet will restore her. And that's what happened after, after a time she began to get her memory back. Though some, some wondered, uh, uh, as being a mystery writer and being a, uh, a person who was, was good with stories, if she hadn't done this just to get back at her husband who had recently cheated on her. But, but some types of amnesia are, are genuinely real and do take place. And, and the title of my message today is, is it's a question rather than a statement. Do you know who you are? Most of us, probably, in fact, statistically, none of us, have experienced genuine amnesia. But sometimes we experience amnesia regarding our spiritual lives. We forget who we are, who God has said that we are. We cruise along in life and we buy into different identities, but not the one that God has called us to. Especially our identity as the church, as God's people. A lot of times when we hear the word church, we think of a building. Look at I just drove past that church. Did you hear that church in town is having a, a special event this weekend? And we often think about the building itself, but the church is not a building, it's a people. And it's not simply another nonprofit or social gathering. It's the fellowship of God's people called by God to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. But in our, in our culture, we're, we have a, a natural individualism baked into the culture as Westerners. And, and so we often, as we read the scriptures, we often think about us, ourselves as individuals. But we don't often think about the we, the group, the gathering. In fact, John Stott, the British pastor and writer, once said, one of our chief evangelical blind spots has been to overlook the central importance of the church. We tend to proclaim individual salvation without moving on to the saved community. We emphasize that Christ died for us to redeem us from all iniquity rather than, finishing the verse, to purify for himself a people of his own. We think of ourselves more as Christians than as churchmen, and our message is more good news of a new life than of a new society. Peter wants us to remember who we are and whose we are. The church is the body of Christ. 
The Bible uses beautiful and powerful metaphors to refer to the gathering of God's people, the body, the living temple, even the bride of Christ. In this passage that we just read, we'll see how God views something that is especially valuable to Him, that is the church, and what that means for us. Scholars agree that Peter is thinking on a corporate level. He's not just writing as, as an individual to, to individual Christians. He does that with certain things he says throughout the book. But the language here is speaking to the group of people. You yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built up to a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. This this heartbeat that he has in this passage is for the church, not just for the individuals that compose the church. And if you notice, as we were reading the passage, it's a little bit choppy. And, and, and the reason is because Peter is quoting the Old Testament all throughout these verses. If you, if you have a, a study Bible, maybe like mine here makes the Old Testament quotes, it puts them in a bold font. Some of yours may put quotes around them, or you'll see the little footnote there showing where Peter was quoting from in the Old Testament. And in, in, in verse 9, we're going to look at, at five different things that, the, that Peter says are true of the church and that show just how valuable and precious and important we are to God and to His mission in the world. And all these come from the Old Testament. The first one is, and I don't have it on the screen here, but if you're taking notes, the first one is, you are chosen. The church are God's chosen people. He says in verse 9, you are a chosen race. This quote comes from Deuteronomy 7, 6, where he says, for you are holy people belonging to the Lord your God. The Lord God, your God has chosen you to be his own possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. Initially, this statement was made directly to Israel, to the, the people of Israel here, but now he's expanding it to include all of God's people that belong to the church, the new Israel. And he's saying here, you are a chosen race, not simply an, an ethnic group, but he's using this word to say, you, you, are the, you are the kind of people I have brought into my family. You, you are the people that I have chosen, that I've made special, the church. The word chosen indicates intentionality on God's part. When my, my wife is a great gift giver. She loves to get gifts, and she loves to get gifts for people that are specific to who they are and to their personality. That, and so when we go and we're shopping and, and looking for these gifts, um, Sometimes I can feel a little bit of frustration at the amount of time that it takes to select that gift that would speak to that individual's personality. I'm sort of like, hey, it's the thought that counts kind of a guy. And so like, what about a gift card? And they can kind of buy anything that their personality chooses. She's like, that's too boring. I don't know. I like gift cards, but... That's just me. She wants to, to devote that time and energy. And, and you know, typically people that receive those gifts, they love it. I mean, when you, when you get a gift that you know somebody has thought about your likes, or maybe they happen to overhear a conversation that you weren't really, like you weren't telling anybody, hey, I need this, and all of a sudden they showed up with it, and you're like, wow, 
You were paying attention. You, you, you care about me. That, that, that idea of, of, uh, of being specific and choosing something all of a sudden becomes really meaningful. And here the Bible says that, that we are God's chosen people. The church is God's chosen instrument in this world. What this means is that the church has been hand-selected by God as his mouthpiece and representative in this world. It also means that we're not looking elsewhere for someone, someone to do the work. Like the, thing that, the things that God calls us to do, it's, well, it's the church that's supposed to be doing them. We can't pass the buck anywhere else. We've been chosen by God to do them. I, I've discovered that if I walk, you know, we had kids home from, from uh, college for Christmas break, and so we had a lot of boys running around the house over the last few weeks. And I discovered something, that if, if we've got five boys in the room, and I, we're finishing up dinner, and I say, hey, I need somebody to do dishes when we're done eating. It's amazing, number one, how quiet things can get. It's like, uh, it's like if you're at an auction, you don't want to see them, you don't want the, the auctioneer to see you twitch or something, because you're afraid that you'll, you'll accidentally bid on something. They, they, they don't move. They don't want to accidentally bid on dishes. There's stillness that comes over the crowd. I discovered that what I have to do to get the job done is I have to choose <laughs> to select somebody. You, you're doing dishes. <laughs> there has to be a, an intentional selection. You see, that's what God has done with the church. When it comes to fulfilling our mission in the world, we, we can't get silent and hope that the work will get done by another entity. It's the church. He's left the church here to fulfill the Great Commission, to be a light in this world. We best not go silent and attempt to pass the buck. The second thing that he says here is we ask the question, do you know who you are? You're a royal priesthood. I love this one. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Back in verse 5, so that was from verse 9, but back in verse 5, he says that you are being built into a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. What in the world does it mean that the church is a holy priesthood? We've all heard of priests, right? That priests were given in the Old Testament. They were from the tribe of Levi. They were men that were chosen to represent God, uh, the, the people before God, they were God's servants. And so they ministered on behalf of the people, and they were sort of the go-between, between, well, between the people and God. They had a special role. Well, one of the things the New Testament makes clear to us, and one of the things that the Reformation fought so hard for in the 1500s and 1600s, was the, the idea of the New Testament teaching of the priesthood of all believers, that because of the blood of Jesus Christ, the veil has been torn, and we don't now have to go through a priest to come to God. One of my, one of my, the, the most, um, one, of, one of my pet peeves as a pastor that, that gets me is when, when people are like, hey, will you, will you talk to God for me? Because, like, and I, I mean, I've heard these very words, you kind of have an in with the big guy. And it drives me nuts, I want to pull out my hair. I don't have a better in with the big guy than you do. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, you can boldly go into the throne room of grace. 
You don't have to go through the priest. You don't have to go through the pastor. You don't have to have a mediator. You can go directly before God. But here, because he's talking about the body and not just us as individuals, he means something else by a royal priesthood. This is, again, a quote from the Old Testament, from Exodus 19.6, where he told Israel, you will be my, my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. What's interesting is he told them that, that verse comes before the establishment of the Levitical priesthood. There was something there about the nation, the group, that they were supposed to be that was different than the Levitical priesthood. And that has carried over to the church because Peter quotes it here. You are a royal priesthood. What he's saying is that one of the church's jobs is to be the go-between between between an unbelieving world and God. You see, as individual Christians, you and I don't have to go through a priest to come to God. But you see, for the unbelieving world who does not yet have a relationship with God, they, they need someone to bring them along. That's the church's calling, to bring others to God, to bring them into his presence. That is the calling of the church. This also includes interceding on behalf of the world. How important it is that we pray for those who are without Christ. Are you getting a picture for just how important the church is? The third one here is, he says, that you are a holy nation. As we ask the question, do you know who you are? You are a holy nation. Holiness is an important theme for Peter. Holiness simply means that we're set apart for God and his purposes. The church is not supposed to look like the world. The church is not supposed to attempt to fit in and be cool. We're separate, not only in our conduct and in our life, but we're called to be distinct by the things that we value and the things that we hold dear. The fourth one here is you belong to God. You belong to God. The text, again another quote from Exodus 19, says that you're a people for his own possession. A people for his own possession. The, the Greek here indicates this, that, that, it's a, that it's a treasured possession. It's not just something that you're saddled with. So like we have certain possessions that you just are stuck with. Maybe you inherited and, or your, your spouse brought them into the marriage and it's really important to them and you're like, ah, this is just an eyesore. It's taking up space and why do we have to keep this? Well, my mother gave it to us and she'd be... She'd roll over in her grave if we ever got rid of it. You know, that sort of thing. Like, you're, there are certain possessions you're sort of stuck with. But that's not what this is communicating here. This is, this is the idea of a treasured possession. Something that's important. Something that's, that's precious to you. Something which is, um, the Greek word here means that which is acquired presumably with considerable effort. I love that picture. Something that you, you went out and, and you you made a, a big deal about acquiring this. Like it was, there was work involved, it was difficult, and all of a sudden now it's yours. Some of you, you have things like that in your life where you remember as a kid, you saved and you saved and you saved. 
and you worked extra. There, when I was a kid, there were these things called paper routes, um, or, or you found side jobs that you worked, with, worked for and, and, and earned that money, and all of a sudden you went, and when it came time to buy that new bicycle or that, that hunting rifle or whatever it is, it became really, really precious to you. That's the idea here. You see, God gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to acquire us, to, to bring us into his family. We're a treasured possession because God gave the very best that heaven had to offer in order that we would be his. We're a precious, precious possession. We're valuable to God. Michael Bird has said the church is part of God's purposes, not a waiting room for the hereafter, but a mode of God's saving presence, a physical representative of Christ's body in the world and a foretaste of the new creation. One of the reasons that we're so treasured by God, why we're a precious possession, is not only what he had to do in order to bring us to himself, but because we're the ambassadors, we're the representative left here on earth. A little foretaste of glory for the world. At least that's the way it should be. You realize the church is treasured by God. Finally and fifthly, the text tells us that we've received mercy. Verse 10 says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, God looked down and, and he decided, he chose to extend mercy to those who didn't deserve it, to those who hadn't earned it, those who hadn't worked for it, who couldn't work for it. The church has received the mercy of God, has been made the people of God, when once we were on the outside. What a blessing. What a privileged position to be in. God took that which was on the outside, that which was full of guilt and sin, and he brought us in and he, he made us a people of his own possession. And he's... He said we're, we're precious to him. You know, I was watching a movie recently, and in the movie, somebody brought in a diamond thinking they, they wanted to trade it in and get some cash, and they were so excited because it was a, a beautiful-looking diamond. It was rather large. And the jeweler looked it over and examined it and was like, hey, listen, uh, I don't know how to tell you this, but this is a fake. This is absolutely worthless. And the guy was totally crestfallen and devastated. He thought he had this super valuable thing. And in the end, it was, it was absolutely worthless. And, and, and you see, no amount of explaining or uh, no amount of like changing the description of the, 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 this fake diamond would make it a, a real diamond. There was nothing he could do to say, okay, now it's real. Now it's valuable. Now it's worth what you think it's worth. Nothing. But you see, with God, he has the ability to do something different. He can, he can take that which is worthless, that, that, which, that, that which holds no value, 
and say, this is precious. This, this is worthwhile. This has purpose. And that's what he's done through Jesus Christ. Not that humanity has no value apart from Jesus Christ, but as far as spiritual value, as far as, as, far as heavenly value, that's what, that's what God has done through Jesus Christ. He's taken a fake diamond and he's made it a real diamond. And because he has chosen you and I to be a part of his family and chosen his church to be the mouthpiece in the world, we can rejoice knowing our calling. I love how Eugene Peterson just paraphrases these two verses when he says, but you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work. Chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Why did God do this? What was his purpose behind this? Peter tells us at the end of verse 9, halfway through, after he lists off chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for his own possession, and then we see the phrase that gives us the purpose statement, so that, here's why, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has done all of this and made the church what he has made it and is making it so that we would go out and proclaim his praises to a world so desperate and desperately in need of good news. To tell them of the one who called us from darkness into his marvelous light. The church is what it is because of Jesus. Because Jesus went to the cross and redeemed his bride out of his great love. God's absolutely clear about why Jesus purchased his bride. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're married and you're, you've asked yourself, I don't know, what, what in the world was I thinking? What, why am I married? I mean, if your spouse asked you, why did you pick me? I know some not good answers. <laughs> you seemed like the best option at the time. I'd had too much to drink the night before. Uh, what happens in Vegas didn't stay in Vegas sort of a thing. Maybe, maybe uh, listen, I was getting up there in age and had to pick somebody. Like, like all those would be really bad answers. <laughs> the answer that God says when he looks at the church why in the world did you pick this, not just Brown Corners Church, the church, the, the, the collective body of Christ throughout the world, why did you pick this to be your bride? And he says, because I wanted to, because I love her, because she is precious to me, because my son's blood has bought her. And I have declared that she is now my mouthpiece, my witness 
my little foretaste of glory here on this earth. That's why the church is so important to God. Because he's chosen her and he gave his son for her. My brothers and sisters, may the church be precious to you and I. Because she's precious to Jesus. When we ask the question, do you know who you are? Certainly there will be times where we have spiritual amnesia and we forget We forget who we are as individuals before God, and we forget who we are as a church before God. But may those times be few and brief, and we remember who we are, the chosen bride of Christ, beloved by God, and called to be priests in this world. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father. We thank you that you have set your love upon us. And when I say us, we we know that your word teaches that you have set your love on individuals. Every single person in this room is loved individually by you. But may we not forget the corporate element to that, the, the community part of that, that you love the church. The church is your bride. The church is your body The church is your temple here on this earth. Not the building, but the people. Not just brown corners, but all believers that are spread out. God, I pray that we would remember that when we're tempted to be isolationists and think that we're better than other local churches. Lord, would you also help us remember that there's a mission that's a part of this. That it's not just about getting together for a couple hours on a Sunday morning, but we're part of something bigger and something that you have called to, to stand in the gap between an unbelieving world and you. Lord, may we remember that the church is your witness, your mouthpiece to bring others to you, to intercede on behalf of those who don't yet know you. May we value the church as you value the church. May the church be precious to us because she's precious to you, O oh God. Thank you for calling us to be a part of your bride. Thank you for calling us to be a part of this holy nation, this kingdom of priests. May we fulfill the task that you've given to us and live with great joy in your loving embrace. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. And now may the Lord, who is the strength of his people, be your shepherd and carry you forever. Amen. May God bless you this week as you serve him.